Greetings, brothers and sisters. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you for joining us for this, our first Sunday after Christmas. Our passage for today will be Luke chapter 2, verses 15 to 21. But before we begin, let's come to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word, and we thank you that your word saves even until today. So guide us, Father, remind us of your gospel, and remind us to proclaim it to all who needs to hear this gospel. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. There were three sons who found out one day that they couldn't go back for Christmas. This would be the first time that they are unable to spend Christmas with their dear old mom, who has no one else and will be alone. Naturally, being beautiful boys, they felt bad about it, and they got her presents to make up for it. One day, they came together, and they started showing off what they did for their mom. The first son said, I moved her to a huge mansion with so many rooms and everything is fully furnished. The second son said, I got her the most luxurious Mercedes-Benz so she can go anywhere that she wants. The third just smiled and said, My present will be the one that mom will love the most. Do you remember how mother had so loved to read the Bible? Well, now that she can't see so well, I sent her a truly remarkable parrot. You see, this parrot can recite the entire Bible. It took many pastors and 12 years to train the parrot. He is one of a kind. Mom just has to name the book and chapter and the parrot will recite it. Soon after Christmas, their mom sent them thank you cards in response to their gifts. To the first son who gave the mansion, she said, Dear Huey, the mansion is so big, I only live in one room, but I have to keep the whole place clean. To the second son, who gave the car, she said, Dear Dewey, I am old and I have poor eyesight and I don't go out anyway, so I'm sorry to tell you, I don't really have any use for the Mercedes-Benz. To the third son, who gave the parrot, she said, Dearest Louis, you have the good sense to know exactly what your mother would like. The chicken you sent was absolutely delicious. If we don't know what something means or what it's supposed to do or what its real purpose is, we cannot appreciate it correctly, can't we? Imagine a person who uses an iPhone that's gifted to them as a doorstep or, or a person who uses a laptop as a cutting board. When we don't really know, and we don't really appreciate what is before us, we miss out. And if you see this happening, you will quickly interfere and tell them, no, this is how you use these things. In the same way, like the mother in the story who ended up cooking and eating the parrot, which can recite the Bible, when we come to this festive season with the image of the baby Jesus in the manger, there are people who don't really know who he is. Even those who know, sometimes may not really appreciate just what that means to their lives. So think about that as we continue looking at our passage. Our passage begins with the shepherds who have been given this knowledge about this marvellous birth that we celebrate even until today. We see in verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, 
In our Christmas Day sermon by Dean Andrew Chia, we have seen the angels bringing the revelation to the shepherds that a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, is born today in the city of David, that is, in Bethlehem. So what does it mean that they want to go and see the child? Are they doubting? And are they going to check if the angel was telling the truth? Or are they going to see the baby in faith? What do you think? Have a look at the text. If we read carefully, we will see that they say, let us go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened. They had no doubt that what the angel reported to them is true, and that is a credit to them. They assume that what the angel has said, so it has happened. In fact, they acknowledge that it is the Lord who has made this known to them. Luke is intentional in pointing out the good faith in which the shepherd responds to God's revelation. Now they want to go and see for themselves, not because they want to verify the truth, but because they want to participate in these glad tidings that has come their way. This is their response to knowing that the child is their saviour. And what a great response this is. We can also see here that it is God who is at work in revealing this truth to them through the angels. These shepherds were able to respond rightly because the knowledge of the gospel was given unto them. God sent the angels as messengers, so it is God who gives them the knowledge that they need to come to salvation by the words brought by his messenger. Faith comes through believing, and believing comes through hearing the gospel. This means of how God brings people to Jesus has changed today. Instead of prophets and angels, the message of the gospel is now proclaimed through the words of Scripture. But what hasn't changed is the same invitation to respond by coming to Jesus. The shepherd's response to the angel is meant as a challenge to us who are listening to the passage. So consider that if you are someone who has not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, will you come to Jesus to know that this Christ that was born on that Christmas day was the one who comes to save you? This is the purpose to which Luke starts off his gospel with. Luke reveals that he has carefully interviewed and done his research to present this testimony so that the reader may come to believe in these things. That's how Luke's gospel begins. It is not enough to see the Christmas story as a legend or a cultural thing. These are reports of things that really happen. And so, by placing the shepherd's response, Luke is challenging us to believe. And no doubt most of you who are listening today uh, listen because you already believe. But amongst you, there might be those who think that Christmas is just a narrative. Just a story that you grew up with in your family. And this could even be your own family members. However, we want to see that what Luke is writing here is a testimony. And he's trying to show proof that the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus. So if you have not believed, examine these things carefully and see how Luke is writing an account of things that he himself has investigated. He's not just telling a story. So let us then see what happened as this shepherd decides to go to Bethlehem. We come to verse 16 and we see this. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. We see here that the shepherd found Jesus in a manger. Now do take note that this is very different than saying he was born in a manger, which is what sometimes we wrongly say. The manger refers to that container that contains straw for the animals to eat, and it's not referring to a building. It's a minor thing to point out, but we can correct this if you have said it wrongly before. Jesus was born, and then he was placed in a manger. Now, sometimes people get the wrong impression that Jesus was born in a barn, and they make that about the main point of what Luke is trying to tell us about the birth of Jesus and him being laid in the manger. In a sense, they feel that it's sad that Jesus was born in what they presume was a barn, away from relative and loved ones and surrounded only by animals. Now, back in school, uh, we used to have a tradition of singing a different version of the birthday song. We would sing, Happy birthday to you, you were born in the zoo, with the monkeys and the donkeys, happy birthday to you. Now, obviously, we did this to tease and insult the person like everyone does in a boys' school. But you get the idea, right? Being born without being surrounded by a loving family and instead being surrounded by animals is kind of sad. However, it is possible that this is not what Luke is saying. Now, we assume that Jesus was born in a barn because there was a manger present. And we get this idea earlier in Luke chapter 2, where we see that Mary and Joseph couldn't find a place in an inn. And so when Jesus was born, he was placed in a manger. Thus, we assume that they couldn't get a hotel room, so Mary had to give birth in some animal barn somewhere. However, the word that is translated as inn here does not necessarily imply a hotel room. It could better be translated as guest room. In fact, there is another word for inn in the Greek that can be better used to mean hotel room. And that was not used here. So the word used here for inn, kataliuma, can mean guest room. The implication of this is that Mary and Joseph probably went to a relative's house. But because their guest room was full, they couldn't stay in the guest room in the upper floor. Instead, they had to stay in the lower floor where the family brings in the animals at night. There would have been some family members there and some animals as well. And that explains why the manger was there. And so they decided to use it as a makeshift crib. So Luke is probably not framing this situation to make us sympathize that Jesus was born in a barn alone and abandoned by his relatives. Instead, he was most likely born in the company of his relatives, albeit with some of the family animals in attendance as well. Now, at this point, you must be wondering, Dinesh, what's the point of that? Now, I think that Luke is still trying to show us something important here. And it isn't about the company Jesus was in when he was born, but rather about Jesus being placed in a manger. Now, what significance can that have? Well, obviously, they didn't have a crib there. And the manger can be used as a bed for a baby since it already has straw in it. Um, and it is an extremely humble bread for the Christ. And it does make sense when we realize that, you know, Jesus left the majesty of heaven to become a man and a servant. And in that sense, it's fitting that the one who comes to serve and not to be served rests his head on a manger, the humblest of cribs. However, if we also realize that God is in total control, 
bringing them to Bethlehem so Jesus will fulfill the prophecy of being born there, ensuring that all the population returns for the census, causing the room to be full. We see that actually it was God who put Jesus in a manger. And if he wanted to, God could have put Jesus in the most majestic crib, but God chose a manger instead. And this tells us that there is some significance here. Notice that if you skim through Luke chapter 2, you will find that the manger is not mentioned once or twice, but rather three times. In Luke chapter 2 verse 7, we see that Jesus was placed in the manger because they didn't have room for him in the proper guest room. Then again, we see in Luke chapter 2 verse 12, that the shepherds were given a sign that they will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying on a manger. And finally, in our passage for today, we see in verse 6, 16, that the shepherds found the baby lying in the manger just as the angel has testified. So, what is Luke's obsession with the manger? Like we heard on Christmas morning, the manger is a feeding trough. It is filled with straw and the purpose is for the feeding of the animals. So, here comes the shepherd who are told that the Christ is born in Bethlehem. Now, besides being David's city, did you know that the name Bethlehem also means the house of bread? So the shepherds are basically told to go to this city called the house of bread and there in the feeding trough, see their Christ, the saviour of mankind. The shepherds are told that this encounter will be a sign to them. And obviously, any baby born will be wrapped in swaddling clothes, so nothing unique about that. So it's not the swaddling clothes, but that the baby is found in a manger. But wait one moment. We are not told what the sign means. We are just told that the baby on the manger is a sign for them. Signs, by definition, means it points forward towards something. And this something is being represented here by a baby lying in the manger. The manger is the sign and not the meaning of the sign. So what does the sign mean then? That the Christ is born and is placed in a manger which is a place of feeding. Here is what I think Luke is trying to point out to us. The picture of God's provision to his people in the Old Testament is when he feeds them from bread that comes down from heaven during the times of Exodus when the people were wandering in the desert. If it was not for that bread from heaven, God's people will perish. And so this feeding by God is essential and is a shadow of God's ultimate salvation. So this feeding is a sign. Here, while we see a helpless little baby who can't save anyone or do anything lying in this feeding throw, we are told that it is a sign. We know that he is the Christ and he comes to bring salvation. So the sign of his sleeping in that manger, the feeding throw, ties in to that. Many years later, at the Last Supper, Jesus takes up bread. And he brings this idea of this feeding once again. He says, this is my body which is given for you. And he breaks the bread and feeds it to his disciples. And there he points forward to how his own body was to be broken for the salvation of others. As Luke wrote this narrative about that Christmas day, he's telling us that in Bethlehem, the city of David, the city of bread, the Christ, who is the bread of heaven himself, is found lying in a food throw. It is as if to show 
that it is through partaking of this bread, the person of Jesus himself, that God will bring salvation to his people. So if we fully understand the import of this, Jesus lying on the manger hints on how he comes to be one day broken, to be given for the salvation of others, and through feeding on him spiritually, people come to salvation. Here is symbolically God offering of food that grants eternal life. Come then to Christ to feed on him by faith. We realize then that this is the very heart of the Christmas message. Not just that Christ was born, but that he was born to die for us. So that through his death, he saves his people. And this is why this day is dear to our hearts. It is the gospel of our salvation. By placing that baby on that manger, the great purpose of Christ's coming is already hinted to the readers as this gospel starts to unfold. We then see in verse 17 and 18 that the shepherds then give testimony of the amazing miracle that happened with the angels telling them about who this child in the manger is. And here, we see an example for us to emulate. Our response to Christ isn't just personal and selfish, but rather, we are to tell others about the truth that we have found in Christ. For us today, that means sharing the gospel, giving people an explanation for the reason that we hold our confidence that Jesus is the Christ who has come to save mankind. Listening to these things we hear in verse 19 then, Mary treasured these things in her heart. And in verse 20, we see the shepherds returning back while glorifying and praising God for all the things that they have heard and seen. And once again, we see this pattern of behavior that the shepherds exhibit that instructs us in how true believers will respond. They heard the message of the gospel. They believed in it. They responded by seeking out Christ. And when they found him, they gave testimony of this gospel that has been entrusted to them. And finally, they go home responding by praising and giving glory to God. How wonderful is that? If our response to the gospel does not lead to us telling others about it, does not lead to us glorifying and praising God, then it shows a problem in our response, doesn't it? So friends, this Christmas season, will you give glory to God? Will you praise God as you are reminded of what God has done for you in bringing salvation to you through Christ? Our passage then ends in verse 21, where we see that Christ was circumcised and given the name Jesus. We know that Christ was offered to us as the means of salvation, and therefore he is to fulfill all manner of righteousness. And one of the things that he does to fulfill this is through circumcision. And it is through circumcision that Christ enters into this covenant under the Mosaic law, where the Jewish people come under the law and were condemned for failing to fulfill it. This child in the manger will fulfill the law through his perfect obedience to God the Father. And through that, he reveals that he is the worthy servant who inherits all the blessing of the Old Testament through his faithfulness. And we know from the shepherd's testimony that this child was born as the Christ, the Savior. And we see through how God presents him to the world in a manger that he is the offering full of grace 
It brings salvation to us. Here then, through the circumcision, we see how He takes up what we cannot do in order to fulfill it Himself and thus bring us salvation. And finally, He is given the name that was announced by the angel, Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. Everything has now been made clear about who this child is and why he has come. So as we look back at that Christmas day 2,000 years ago, let us not just see it as just a Christmas story, or, but rather with the knowledge of what these things point forward to. We now know that Christ came into the world to die for us sinners so that he can bring us to salvation. That child was offered to us in a manger with an invitation Come and feed on him spiritually that you may gain eternal life. This is the gospel, the good news of Christmas. With the right knowledge then, we can respond rightly. With the right knowledge then, we can warn people who are not understanding the significance of the birth of Jesus rightly. So will you respond like the shepherds did? In trusting the words of the gospel in coming to Christ in response to the gospel, to give testimony of the gospel to others, and finally, to give praise and glory to God, for He has saved us through Jesus Christ. Take the time this season to reflect on your life, to see whether are you like the shepherds, and can I encourage you, brothers and sisters, proclaim to the world that Christ has come for you and your salvation. Come to Him. Call people out. With that, wishing you a blessed and meaningful Christmas as you ponder through the birth of Christ that Christmas day as you enjoy this season of celebration. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christ came that Christ did what we could not do, weakened as we are by sin. And we thank you that you have so graciously given us salvation by faith in Christ. So Father, we thank you for that Christmas day, almost 2,000 years ago, when you sent your son into the world, placed him in that manger, and displayed him to us with the promise of your gospel. Lord, save many more through your gospel and help us to stay firm in it. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.